Hi, this is Carrie Brownstein. This is DJ Premier. This is Darren Aronofsky. You got the Rizzo right here. Rose McGowan. Right here. Aisha Tyler. Tribe Call Quest. Fred Armisen. Fritz Paul. Javier Munoz, Seth Meyers. Frankie Cosmos. Flying Lotus. Hi, we're Haim, and you're listening to the Talk House Podcast. Ow! What's up? I'm Elia Einhorn. Welcome back to the Talk House Podcast. Today I'm joined by... Annie Fell, associate editor. And we have a fucking fantastic show for you today, featuring Toon Yard's Meryl Garbus in conversation with Megan Remy, a.k.a. U.S. Girls. Both U.S. Girls and Toon Yards are super sonically forward-thinking, super socially conscious artists, and it's both exciting and makes perfect sense that the two will be touring America together. That starts in October and goes into the start of November. Both are recording artists for 4AD and... I'm very excited about this. U.S. Girls have contributed a remix to the new Toon Yards EP coming out later this year. Now, Toon Yards is the project of vocalist and multi-instrumentalist Meryl Garbus and her longtime collaborator, bassist Nate Brenner. Influenced by art rock and African and Caribbean rhythms, the Oakland-based duo explore themes of feminism, environmentalism, race, and economic and social capital in their politically charged pop music. Listeners, you'll hear a lot of those themes turn up in this conversation as well. Oh, she and Meg have a lot of good stuff to say about that. Now, I first heard Toon Yards at Pitchfork Fest in 2014, which is the year that they released their second album, Who Kill. I had been posted up basically at the stage St. Vincent was going to play at later that day. And as it turned out, Toon Yards was playing before her. Nice. That's a lineup. I was so struck by how interesting and powerful Meryl's voice was. And like, I'm generally not into festivals, but one of the great things about them is those moments when you catch a set basically by accident and it just blows you away. Toon Yards obviously totally blew me away. It's been fantastic to see the bands rise. Their most recent record was released in January of this year. That's I Can Feel You Creep Into My Private Life. Probably the best title of a record this year. Oh, for sure. And as our regular listeners will know from the Boots Riley episode we ran a few months back, Merrill also scored his amazing movie, Sorry to Bother You, and is on the official soundtrack to that film that dropped in July. Another socially aware, another politically aware artist, Meg Remy. Meg started out as a tape loop and and sort of a noise pop artist who took a radical turn on her latest LP. That record is called In a Poem Unlimited. It dropped in February of this year and instantly became one of my favorite records of the year. We got to hang out down at South by Southwest when I hosted her on Pitchfork Radio. And I was just so impressed with the way that she speaks about her music and the cultural influence behind it. Oh, she's a super smart person. She really is. In writing notes for today's introduction, Annie, I struggled to write a sort of one-sentence encapsulation of In a Poem Unlimited. It covers a lot of styles. It covers a, a, a huge range of topics. Meryl, in this conversation, actually really hit it on the head. She calls it, quote, a disco pop album with radical feminist lyrics. I mean, that's the perfect description. She really nailed it. Meg is an American who has lived in Toronto for quite a while. She she fled America and, and jumped the northern border. And for the making of In a Poem Unlimited, she brought in the Toronto funk and jazz collective, The Cosmic Range. As we've already mentioned a bunch of times, they're both <laughs> very political and socially conscious artists. So it only makes sense that this conversation takes in, mostly in the context of music, their efforts to live and work sustainably, undoing white privilege, getting out of self-hate to show up for the work that needs to be done in the world, 
understanding Trump-supporting family members. Right, right. We hear about whether people should be sand or oil in the machine, direct action protests, and even the illusion that you have control over your life. Now, this talk also takes in how action movies pale in comparison to Meg's real life. They talk about why the world is going to, quote, boil us off and start again. And why Father John Misty must be rich as fuck. For this conversation, Meg was recorded in Toronto and Meryl recorded herself, quote, in a cafe by my hotel by the highway. So you may hear a little background music, a few cups clinking. Meryl didn't want to wake Nate up by recording in their hotel room. She's thoughtful like that. Give some nice ambiance. <laughs> Should we roll it? Let's roll it. Where do you live in Toronto? What I, neighborhood? I live like in an area called the Kingsway, which is part of an area or like a, I guess what was a, a town called Etobicoke. It still exists, but the city amalgamated and took in a bunch of suburbs. And so it's what was one of the suburbs. And it's nice. We live across from a graveyard, so there's no condos going up yet. Awesome. <laughs> they, are, <laughs> they haven't gotten... Too you know, morbid for the condo yeah. buyers. <laughs> they're, they're not digging up white people's cemeteries yet to put <laughs> condos up. So our yeah. view is safe. Um, we're kind of, we're outside the city a bit, so it's nice. We're removed from yeah. all the places to spend money, I guess, but it's nice. Well, I nerded out a little bit this morning on your stuff, but also when we were going to do an an interview with you for the Claw show, I was nerding out hearing you talk about living outside of the U.S. and how that was, because not that I technically lived in Montreal, because I didn't, but Mm -hmm. I did kind of spend a lot of time (laughs) in Montreal for four years, and it was during the Bush 2 presidency, and I remember just being so grateful to have that perspective on on the US. But so I I'm happy for you that you can live in Canada. Right I mean, now. it's great. It's <laughs> it's funny though because it is it's been helpful, but then it's like now I have to look at Canada in the correct way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or it's not correct, but in the different way. So it's like Canada was this thing that like I think I was tricked into thinking it was better here because of the healthcare situation totally. and the grants. And it, you totally. know, there that is a, those things are major, but there's really not much difference <laughs> between the two places. Yeah. And it's really like, um, there's at least like way less people here and less guns. And that's something that's nice. But both of these countries were, yeah founded on like the genocide of people that were already here and it continues on and it's funny because Canada's right now in kind of where the states were with Obama which is they got Justin Trudeau in who's very handsome and cool and charismatic and and Mm -hmm. says all the right things and then he just goes behind closed doors and fucks everybody so I don't know what's going to happen here and do you know about Doug yeah like Rob Ford and Doug Ford I only because I I heard David Byrne call them out the other day but are (laughs) they kind of like the Koch brothers well yeah Rob is dead now Rob was the mayor 
of Toronto. Oh, he was like the crazy one that did yes. lots of drugs. He and, got caught and did smoking crack stuff. and like He's dead. Talk- yeah, he died of cancer, right. of course, because he Whoa. was a mutant that like, you know, like <laughs> just <laughs> cancer just ate him up in like six months or something. It's re- it was very symbolic. Oh, my God. But he was kind of like the testing ground for Trump. For sure. Like he was yeah. seeing him so really made me realize Trump was a possibility if Rob Ford yeah. was a possibility here, you know. Well, now his brother has gotten to a high up provincial position and he's wrecking Ugh. havoc here. And it's like Trump Jr. Oh he's even got like platinum hair and... It's just like chaos for chaos' sake, it seems like. So I think that, unfortunately, Canada is going to swing, like, violently, you know, to the— I mean, I don't believe in left and right, but to the right, you know. So it will be interesting. I just read that left and right comes from um, the French parliament, like, post-revolutionary parliament of, like, which side of— parliament people sat on right i could be wrong but that's what because i was like where does where does that even come from that concept and it makes sense i guess that it comes from the french revolution and that you know democracy of that era but it seems like that i mean europe feels like the same i don't know what you found touring there lately but oh my god um we were just talking about it last night sitting around that was yeah, it's, it's just fucking like, Italy, man. It's you scary. used to be able to just, I mean, I nev- you would just go around Europe. You were never stopped. Now it's every time you go into the yeah. country, another country, there's like the border with the fucking guys with the guns. And it's yeah. so different to tour over there yeah. just because it's like, ah, uh, is it going to, like the whole world's just turning into America, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Nate and I talk a lot about how, like, is it reasonable to expect that we'll be able to tour the way that we have been with climate change and with political change? I don't think it is. Like, I don't think that we've understood how much peace and prosperity we've enjoyed in terms, because it, of course, always feels like a struggle also to tour. And and for us, touring Europe is never, it's not usually, we don't make money or if we do, it's like a a bit above breaking even or whatever. But yeah. but now thinking about it, it's like, well, yeah. And then if you add into that, like going through what might become fascist governments, then what, you know, I don't want to do that. <laughs> and, and, you know, I know it's really important in a lot of ways to, to carry music. I mean, music feels like this way of carrying messages of solidarity to one another across across borders and things but yeah when you add in like I don't we've been trying to offset our carbon and it's a a lot yeah (laughs) it's just like I don't know how how reasonable it is to keep expecting to do this you know as we get older at least yeah I mean I don't think yeah it's a privilege to tour so I do think totally it's going away (laughs) and it should I I was really struggling with it because of having this huge band like, oh, okay, what are the kind of mm. ethical implications of me flying eight to nine people around and how do we yeah. do this? Um, I talked to a lot of people about it and tried to read about it. And it's hard because 
a lot of people would say, like, oh, it's a drop. Like, whatever your, an individual or a band's carbon footprint is like a drop in the bucket compared to a corporation's. And, like, that's really what fucked up the environment. You know, like, is the corporation's large spewing of things and... I, I could like kind of get right. into that and be like, yeah, it's true. It's not, it's not me. It's them. <laughs> you know, like, let myself <laughs> off the hook. Like yeah. I'm just going to keep doing my thing against these corporations. Yeah. But it is not, I think it's actually not right. And I think that there's something to question in general about like one's need to go on the road and perform and present themselves. Because for me, yeah. it's been meaning like, I need to admit that I like attention. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I like to be on a stage and yeah. have people look yeah. at me. And, like, I need that exactly. in my life. Or like, I need and validation. It's, like, it's actually <laughs> yeah. embarrassing to have to do it, but, like, someone, you know, like, we've got to do it. And I wish I knew a time when things had been more regional, like, across the board, you know, like, yeah. from the food you're eating to... You know, kind of even the news you're getting or something. Um, Because I do think like music and like world touring and this kind of stuff is definitely, it's contributed to, you know, global warming, but also just cultural pollution and what people think is important. And I don't know. I'm just constantly still struck when I'm at like a music festival, you know, like the festival in Omaha. (laughs) Mm-hmm. And you're mm-hmm. just like still, you see people in other bands still walking around like, I don't know what it is, like like they're celebrities or something. And they are. <laughs> I mean, totally. but they are celebrities, right. but you're like, oh my God, you're really doing this? Yeah, okay. in, in a tiny, isolated world of indie, what I, I mean. Yeah, or like backstage where yeah. you don't have to be the celebrity. You can just like. Let your, right. <laughs> you know, leave your pants unbuttoned. I don't know, but. <laughs> yeah. It will, and I feel like it's, I mean, we talked about it a little bit while we were there, but, but the fact that it is so divorced from place, like we're in a place, you know, why don't we ever talk about like, okay, you know, why, why are we here? First mm-hmm. of all, we're on the grounds of, of this particular group of native people who, who were here and then we're. you know, annihilated, you know, so like that's part of how we're here. And then most of this was built on the backs of Native people and Black people. Let's talk about that. Like, and then who's actually living in the community now and why, and who is making music in the community and why, and then why, I mean, but then for the most part, these festivals are all like majority white bands playing, you know, whatever ourselves included playing you know it's like the same festival happening repeatedly around all these places without any sense of place i mean it's very rare i think that i I can't even think of one festival where it's crazy it's like i played so (laughs) many festivals with father john misty it's like father john misty must be rich as fuck (laughs) he is rich because he plays all the festivals And he yeah, doesn't, he doesn't so play many. at 2 p.m. Yeah. He plays the late time, which is like the later you play, the more you get paid. It's so funny. It's like well, I get, totally. I play when the sun totally. is out, so I only get $2,000. I know. If we you play, play the when, <laughs> if you play when the sun goes down, you get $10,000. Yeah. 
well, probably, super, I'm, super I'm, wealthy. But <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't know. But then, you know, I, I still play the festivals and do all the stuff. And it's, I mean, I think that's what's hard is if you're a con, if you're being conscious and you're being a critical thinker and you continue to do this stuff, what's worse to not think about it and just do it or to be thinking about it right. and continue doing it? I don't know. Like, I don't know. It's, I don't think that things always have to have a tidy answer. I don't think that that's really how life works. So I think it, things can be both. They can be bad and good at the mm-hmm. same time. And that's hard to understand or accept, but I do think that it's accurate. So I just try yeah. to be I try to be conscious. I try to not do anything that doesn't feel right to me. You know, like I don't know how many things that have come up in the past year where it's like, okay, so you're supposed to play this festival, but it just came out that the organizer has been accused of drugging and raping women. So there's no proof, though. But if, you know, if you don't want to play, we understand. But if you want to, like, you know what I mean? You're like, what? <laughs> right. Okay, well, I'm not that you playing. Really still want to. <laughs> I can't play. Damn it. And yeah. then, I, you know, <laughs> yeah, like, totally. I am out paying my band or something because some fucking asshole has been drugging women and his festival's canceled now. You know, it's like, Jesus Christ. Like, it's, there's a lot, there's just so (sighs) much going on. It's really, yeah, I don't know. But that's why for me performing is like, it really helps uh, me personally exercise all the darkness and... I don't know. It's, it's mm. selfish, I guess, but that's the way to do it. And therapy, you know, therapy and therapy, party. right? Yeah, I think it's good. Like I remember hearing about Laurie Anderson being asked to speak about climate change, and then being in like Sweden or somewhere in Scandinavia, and like, and then her deciding not to fly there because yeah. wouldn't that be against the whole <laughs> idea yeah. and how? So much of the time, our actions are totally in contradiction to our words. And part of that is systemic. Like, I don't, I mean, I guess obviously I've been thinking about it a lot with race because in exploring the damage that I do just in my general ignorant existence as a white person, I can get really into the, like, well, it would just be better if I didn't exist because like whiteness is a plague on the planet, you know, like that's how... It, at my darkest moments, I feel that way. And then maybe at my whitest moments, I feel that way. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, but then when I hear you talk about this stuff, I'm like, yeah. And and there's the complicating factor of your music being extremely necessary for a lot of people that I know. And for your music to be hitting a particular nerve that hasn't been hit. And at the same time, I think a lot about And then there's going to be a time when I step the fuck back and I just amplify other people's voices that I'm not hearing because mine has been heard quite enough. And I think it's okay and necessary to plot one's own death in a way, not not to be bleak about it, but just like it's okay. I think like the last two years album was going to be called The Problem with Two Yards and like that (laughs) and that... um, you know, Who there's you a big out of problem that? with tune yards and <laughs> a lot of people. Really? Everybody. I like that. 
I can see, yeah, Thanks. before I do that, like, it well, doesn't really work. Like, yeah, it's like negative. <laughs> and, oh my God. Yeah. That's a great title. But it title. was like, it was from a... Per, uh, Thanks. Shit. But but also by people who really loved me too. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Okay, but your, you know, isn't your self-loathing leading things in of a course. way that like might be yeah. whatever. But anyway, I think that especially around money and around like around race, I think about like like white people can we can talk all we want about how we're not racist, but like would we be willing to move back with our parents in order to stop gentrification where we keep moving to, or would would I be willing to, you know, give up owning a house so that I don't, you know, essentially chase out people of color in this historically black neighborhood, or you know, like what am I actually willing to sacrifice? I think that's really important to ask. Yeah. I mean, it's hard. I don't know. Sacrifice, like, because I I don't think you can stop gentrification. (laughs) Like, it's just the I don't know. You know, like it. It's so abstract. Like it's like I'm here stumbling because there's no language. Like there's just no language to properly talk about all of this. Uh, like in this moment, like right now, like realities, how I'm I'm trying to formulate words, like realities, like rubbing in a really weird way, which I've been coming in contact with so much since, I mean, really since moving to Canada, but since the last U.S. election, like reality is just mm-hmm. rubbing in a super crazy way because how can we say, like you, moving to your parents' house, so that you don't, uh, no. you know, blow up some some neighborhood <laughs> right. with artists is like, okay, that's like a speck in the whole, you know what I mean? It's like, okay, uh, yeah. it's just like, it doesn't even begin to discuss like the kind of web yeah. of deception and lies and totally. uh, confusion and totally. like, you know, like trauma upon trauma upon trauma that is, that is uh, that all this stuff is like functioning and feeding off of the path that we're on. I don't know if we can take a turn. I think it just has to go. I take a lot of solace in nature and that the planet is going to be here. It's just going to boil us off like a virus and restart. And that in space, there is so many planets. (laughs) And there's like infinite experiments going on with, you know, like things that look like us and other crazy creatures and existences and planes of existence. (laughs) And so I'm like, it's hard because this planet and like your existence is is what you know and what you have. And so you're like, especially if you're a critical thinker and you're looking at everything, it's like, I got to do something and all this stuff and all these, how it's all connected. And then it's really hard to accept that we're just going to die. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, oh my God, yeah. I'm doing all this right. thinking and all this work and I'm trying to like fix all this stuff, but I'm just going to die. Like this is, and then like, <laughs> if you're going through trauma, it's very hard to be like, don't worry. Like, you know, it, this trauma doesn't matter because you're going to die and it's just, it's going to go away. Cause no, like right. people are living in right. hell on earth. You know what I mean? Like you're living in Damascus. Yeah. It's yeah. like you basically probably would rather, you know, you, I've read things where people like, I'd rather be dead or something like, because their life is, yeah. is hell on earth. And 
I think it will be hard in those circumstances, in ours, in anyone's to accept that all this shit you go through is basically like, it's, it's for nothing, but it's for everything too, you know, like the duality of, of yeah. existence is, yeah. it's very confusing. And it's that thing I'm talking about earlier of it's like, so of like, it's good and it's bad. Do you know what I mean? So it's, it's, yeah. it's oh, hard yeah. to, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm obsessed with the yin yang, like, because of that, like, I had never known what the yin yang meant until maybe two years ago or something. Like, I just knew it as a clay bead on a hemp necklace, you know, like, I just was like, I never knew. Yeah. And then actually <laughs> <laughs> reading about it, it's like, oh, it's yeah. beautiful. Yeah, it's exactly it's really profound. it. And it's something yeah. good to focus on of like, you know, yeah. you, we all cause harm no matter what. You can't not cause yeah. harm either in yeah. like some personal relationship or some grand scheme of things of yeah. because you're, you know, in a privileged position in a certain system or you're fucking driving mm-hmm. an SUV or you're whatever, you know, but you also, mm-hmm. there, that doesn't Using mean that you can't, fork, whatever. yeah, that doesn't mean that you can't also be generating good as well. So I just don't think it's one or the other. Yeah. And I don't know, it can sound like a cop out, but I do think it's the only way to like stay sane. <laughs> well, I just been thinking about so many things. One is resilience, I guess. And that, like, for instance, I heard um, one of the teachers at the meditation center where I go practice sometimes. She's a woman of color. And she was like, at some point, after working for a long time as an activist and organizer, I realized that racism wasn't going to end in my lifetime. And I was like, oh, right. Like, there are people who are working on like really horribly painful and traumatic things, knowing that they're not going to see the results that they want to see in their lifetimes. Like I know the drop in the bucket thing, like, oh, it's just like around gentrification or whatever. But I also think there is that butterfly effect, which also feels like one of those cheesy (laughs) things that I always heard about. But it's true. Like I heard about this woman who had a white woman who had really thought about gentrification and not wanting to be a part and then had inherited, you know, she wasn't wealthy, but she'd inherited some kind of middle-class money from her mother when she passed. And she brought that money in the concept of that money to a community of her peers and was like, so I am a white person. I have privilege and I want to redirect this money in a way that undoes privilege and undoes the the violent history of where this money came from Mm -hmm. and with her people she like made this really creative solution about she basically bought a duplex with a house and she with the understanding that part of her community I think it was a couple who's a black couple and they they she basically gave them the house with the idea that this was reparations Mm -hmm. essentially and in other words it wasn't like a this is a solution for everyone it was just like this really small creative solution and and hearing her talk about it I felt like this whole world opened up to me where I was like oh I don't the whole point is like not living in constant guilt and constant in in the whatever part of the yin and yang that's like I'm the one causing harm but 
if this person can transform this, then maybe there is a way that I can transform this too. So thinking about how it's really a long game, it's like, how do I stay strong and resilient through the ways that I want to show up for freaking battling injustice, man? You know, like there's a Mm -hmm. sense of that's just like, I want to show up for this and not be in, you know, the places that I that I have been in my life of times of being really depressed, times of being in my addiction, times of being kind of paralyzed by self-hate and like how, how do I get myself out of that enough so that I can just show up for the work that I really know needs to be done at the very least to counteract all the, (laughs) all the condos. (laughs) I mean, I think that learning is the way for me to try to do Mm -hmm. that. Just Mm -hmm. reading, 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 reading. I just feel with every book I read, like my empathy growing and my understanding of Mm. the web kind of getting a little bit clearer. But I also think that it's super important to feel uncomfortable. (laughs) I don't think it's the goal to like feel free from guilt or to, or, or feel happy or feel, I don't know. I think that that's, that's a myth that that's the kind of end game. Yeah. As I'm getting older, it seems like life gets harder too. And the more you know, the harder it gets because the more, you know, the more you know, the more fucking painful it is. It's just like, I mean, you want to just scream all the time. I don't know. I think being honest, for me, being honest with myself and dissecting myself and being transparent about myself and then trying to learn as much as possible is just like, it's it's what I can do. It's what I know I can do. Yeah. And also being prepared to say, like, I'm wrong <laughs> or I fucked up or, like, I yeah. contribute to this or totally. whatever. And that's, like, the transparency thing. Like, I do know I'm just one person and I do think that individuals matter. And so it's, you know, it's worth it to to think about everything and try to do something, you know, but there is a lot of that do something thing that comes from a, again, like a fear of your, that you're going to die or something. Like I've got to fix this in my lifetime. Like I've got to do this. And when it's just like, that's not really what it is. And I do think that if everyone could focus on something small, like even accepting their own death, uh, yeah. If we all accepted our own deaths, we could <laughs> then accept other people in the way they act. I really have had to, you know, my family are like Trump people. And I've yeah. had to really try to find love for them still as I don't speak with them, but trying to find understanding for them still yeah. to see like, why did they do this and how did they do it? Not justify it. But uh, in my, you know, I can see that they're scared. And when people are scared, they do yeah. s- <laughs> you know, crazy things. And when, like, you've been totally. you've been lied to your whole life and, and also fed through a type of machinery, you know, it's just like I read this thing recently yeah. about this a poet, a German poet, who says something about, like, 
to be sand or to be oil in a machine. Like you should be sand in a machine. Like don't let the machine work. But most people are oil mm. in a machine. Mm -hmm. And like mm. I, yeah, to be oil, it means you just pass mm. right through the machine and, and you're used to help keep the machine running. And for a lot of people, that's their the purpose of their existence, whether they know it or not. You know, I mean, it's actually all of our purposes at this point because we're all... That's the thing, right? Like, even in ways that we don't know. You know, you and I, were sitting here talking like, you know, that we're outside of that, but right. we're, <laughs> I mean, we so aren't. Like, yeah. anyone who right now isn't, like, sometimes I just want to go sit in the middle of the street. You know, I just want to, like, I'm just going to lay down in the road here because I don't know what else to do to stop all of this. Like, it's too much. And and it's not even like lay down in the road to get hit by a car and die. It's like, I just want everything to stop. <laughs> I just like yeah. stop the machine, you know, because it's just well, that's because why it, it keeps yeah. going. We can't dissect it and put something new in exactly. its place. So it's just... I don't know. It's well, and that's why, yeah, no, I, I hear you. Because, I mean, and I, I think it's interesting that you use that example because I think that, I mean, first of all, I feel like that's what's so powerful. Like, for instance, in Oakland, a lot, a lot of the time when there is inevitably, you know, there's been time after time of some other person of color dying at the hands of the police. And, and they're, you know, a very, uh, an action that gets taken a lot is just, streaming out into the freeway and just stopping traffic and that, that there's just that exact action of being like stop like yeah. look at what's happening you need to stop now just to take a breath and and that's I mean the machine works so well because we're never asked to stop and think yeah. and in fact slowing down I mean that's a dangerous thing when people stop to think or when people stop to learn or when people have enough time on their hands to oh, you yeah. know not not working a nine to five job or a 10 to 10 job or whatever to, to actually stop and also it reminds me of I was listening to this podcast about this couple deciding whether or not to have kids and one of the he talked to a climate scientist because you know that's a major reason not to have kids in yeah. a lot of ways and the the guy was was telling the story about reading uh, like one of the latest reports on the state of the world and climate change and he was at SFO and he like he was like I have to stop flying now we all have to stop flying now like yeah. now 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 mm -hmm. and just like how there's this total disconnect between the reality of fact of like the loss of like 75% of the species that we know <laughs> on know. the planet with like our continued go, go, go. I know. It's just like there's no way that our human brains seem to be able to go, like until we're forced to stop, until a storm or an earthquake or whatever, yeah. you know, whatever well, makes us stop. I, I that think we we're just, just on the path. Yeah. I mean, that's why I don't think we, because you know what I mean? We're sitting here talking about this. We know we need to stop flying and I'm going to fly to meet you to go on tour. You know what I mean? Like, I'm like, it's this is bad, up. but like, I, I got work to do. <laughs> I got to get out there. I got to get on that stage, exactly. get people looking at me. I haven't had people looking at me. <laughs> you know, yeah. I don't know. Like, yeah. so maybe it's, uh, yeah. I, I don't know. I don't. Yeah. I, no, I, totally. I, I totally. What What totally. are we going to do, Meryl? You know. I, mean, I don't know. I, I don't know. Can we 
Can we talk about your album first? Like, since oh my God, really? <laughs> well, because I want to ask about, I think it's really amazing how you use dialogue as lyric. I just think it's really like that song, um, Velvet for Sale. Yeah. And I guess it also connects with The Boy Is Mine, which is like probably, I don't know. I feel like people talk about you doing that cover because it's freaking hey, amazing. But that's like another song that's like dialogue between two women. Mm-hmm. And and I just think about, I've been thinking about how rare that is and how, um, I don't know. I was talking to somebody else about, oh, I guess Jean Grey. You know her? Rapper? Who? She's amazing. But Jean Grey no. is her name. Mm-mm. Like the X-Men character. Anyway, okay. she's like, she uses a lot of, di- like she's been writing screenplays and stuff. But um, I don't know. I think I... I just wanted to talk to you about that idea of, I mean, because we're having a dialogue right now, but um, how you started to use that in in songs or like, I don't yeah. know. I just think it's such a wonderful thing. I've always used it like a little bit, just as I'm sure same with you, like people say the darndest things. <laughs> You're just like... I'm always <laughs> listening to people on the subway yeah. or like I'm always eavesdropping. I'm always like, if if I'm ever at a restaurant, I'm listening to other people's <laughs> conversations. And then I'm like, oh, my God, do you hear that? Max is like, stop listening. And, totally. But I get a lot of <laughs> things from that. And just like I'm a talker and I just grew up to like listening to my mom talk on the telephone and like listen to people talking through walls and like trying to decipher what people said and just the favorite my favorite thing in songs has always been like a line that I'm like ooh that's that's real like ooh someone really said that or like that yeah. really happened to someone like when yeah. you can just tell when like someone's like some line about the color of someone's clothes or something like some detail we are like that that was a real life thing yeah so totally I just try to my experience of life is that it's so dramatic and so ridiculous like you can't make this shit up like why there you know what I mean like you just if you for me as an artist like I've just it's all there like all the material that I've ever needed to like make a song or make something is just existing I've experienced it so just pulling from that because real life is just it's infinitely richer than trying to make up real life or something, you know, which is why TV totally. and and film and things, you know, a lot of times, I don't know, fall flat. I've lived a very interesting, chaotic, <laughs> traumatic, uh, crazy life. And so, like, to entertain me takes a lot, you know. I'm like, oh, that ain't shit. Like, I can't. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like an action movie or something. I'm like, oh, this is boring, you know. But um, (laughs) I just just like that. I'm interested in dialogue. You know, the last few years I've been really into theater. And so I think it was, Mm. you know, the record before Half Free when I really, really started working uh, with dialogue a lot because I started writing dialogue like in journals for just as an exercise because I want to write a play someday. So often I'm writing dialogue, like rewriting a conversation I've had that I wish went a different way. Or like Mm. when I've experienced something, I wish I had handled it in a different way. So, you know, rewriting that or, you know, there's like the song Pearly Gates. There's 
a line in it that's not direct dialogue, but it's someone told me a story about a guy taking a, a friend of ours home. And they were like, you know, into each other and they're making out and they're getting ready to get to it. And he didn't have a condom. And she was like, okay, well, no, like, I'm not interested. And he was like, but I'm really good at pulling out. And she was like, no, <laughs> you know, and it was like, that stuck in my mind. I was like, oh, I've got to fucking use that, you know, and that turned into Peter, <laughs> Pe- <laughs> Peter bragged he was really good at pulling out, you know, and it's like, that's just, that's a real fucking thing. Like, and I've just had so much feedback from people on that line. Like, oh my God, I've heard that. I've heard that. Yeah. Like, oh my God. Like, <laughs> right, exactly. And I've heard that too, you know, and so that really, it's exactly. real. So it resonates. Yeah. I think. Yeah, um, yeah totally. So my purpose is like, I don't want to waste my time. I don't want to waste anyone else's time. But I'm also, I am trying to entertain at the same time as spur on thinking. And I don't know. I'm just trying to like use the language I know, which is I'm not an academic. So what I know is dialogue. What I know is like talking and um, conversing with people. So this is yeah. like the language I write in or whatever. You know, I'm not really a poet or something. I'm more just like, yeah, chatty Kathy. Chatty Kathy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's but you are a poet because you put it together in this way that is is totally poetic. I mean, it's yeah, I I love it. The other thing I wanted to ask you about was about voice because I think because now you're like working in pop in it consciously in pop it seems like in a way that earlier you didn't give a shit about or maybe it was just like a I mean like I mean the boy is mine as a good example where it's like clearly that's in your repertoire and in your it's in your musical understanding and then you like regurgitate it in this like noisy fucking fucked up way um which is incredible but as the music that you've wanted to be making changes how is like literally the way that you treat your voice or think about singing or think about the use of your yeah literally your voice how has that changed at all or well yeah i mean when i write the boy's mind i couldn't sing it I mean, I could sing, I could open my mouth and something came out, but I didn't understand about singing in what's in tune or anything like that. I'd never, I just didn't know about that. I just thought it was like what singing was, (laughs) was expressing your inner character. Like that, and it still is for me, but that was it. It was like a necessity of expression, like, and it wasn't about like, Mm -hmm. I never did like multiple takes, like, I just did it, you know, I would just kind of, it would just come out. And then I took vocal lessons. <laughs> I learned a lot. And I took vocal lessons basically just Me to too. like learn how to warm up because I was losing my voice and, and stuff like that. And then it was like, mm-hmm. oh, like you're supposed to kind of fit in the music. Like, or you're supposed to at least think about it. Like, <laughs> you know, it just, it opened up a whole new thing. And then with the last record in particular, how the voice sounded was super important. So, like, the engineer that I work with, Steve Cholly, is just, like, a darling and is will just really go there, you know? Like, he, he really encouraged me to not be lazy and really go 
to the end of the line with the voice. So like on Velvet mm. for Sale, doing things like, let's see what recording it laying down sounds like, sitting up, kind of out of mm. breath. What what if you like <laughs> run around and then record it? What's that going to sound like? You know, these kinds of things of changing the quality yeah. and maybe the character of the voice. So that was a big part of this last record, huge, was... You know, mm. it's not a musical, so it's not like drastically changing the voice to be like these different characters for each song. It was just right. these subtle signals of changing the tone of the voice or the way it's recorded or something like this to kind of cue the listener on the content of the song um, or to help, con- you know, convey or set the mm. mood or, or make the bed for like the content of the song. So... Yeah. It's, it definitely was, is conscious, and then that brings up a whole nother zone of, like, performance, live performance, and, like, what you can do when you add your body in to, like, project your voice mm-hmm. or convey stuff and, like, how you move your hands and how your, like, face is looking. And it's just endless, you know, expression is... Yeah. If you're, like, really willing to go for it, is so rewarding and... It's as important as the, you know, for a live show, the instruments on stage and what's coming out. It's so cool to hear. I mean, I I also think the vocals sound incredible on this last album, first of all. So it totally makes sense all you're saying. And and also, though, I think it, it's really interesting how, I don't know how to say this. It's like it makes your, the vocals on your previous albums also... Basically, that like it, it puts it all into this place of like you have always been in control of how your voice is on your records, and and I guess I don't mean like perfect vocal control. I mean like you've made the choices about how your voice Definitely. is, and even if that is just like here's how I'm expressing myself. Yeah. Um, I presume you would never put something on any of your albums that wasn't that didn't feel right in oh, what no. you know, however you voiced it. If that makes sense. No, it's just always been. I mean, I didn't know. You, I just didn't know. And when I listen back on my earlier stuff now, I mean, it's shocking to me <laughs> that I was <laughs> okay. So? That I was okay with it, or something like, oh my god. But <laughs> I'm. I don't. I'm happy about it. Like I'm so. Yeah. I just like am so pleased with my catalog as um yeah. Art, yeah. like as an art project even. I'm just like because totally. you know this last record being through the 4AD machinery and the just the way it is is you know mm-hmm. the most listenable thing. So more people are hearing it so I'm having these people <laughs> that have found it through mm-hmm. some Spotify thing, you know, coming there like I love your new record, but I listened to your early stuff. <laughs> it's kind of weird, you know, and you're like Oh my God! It's kind of how amazing yeah. that you had you listened to like yeah. my four track album. Exactly. That those that they're side by side. Yeah. I I love it. I'm proud of it's it. So I'm not. Um, I'm not embarrassed about it. I think it's hilarious. And no, it's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> what can you That's do? So I'm so glad. Yeah. <laughs> well, and that it, and that you came from there. Like you didn't come from wanting to be a pop star. I mean, maybe you did that too. I Maybe I no. secretly harbored that somewhere. But no, you came from like, I don't know, the first time I saw you had like all these fucking crazy pedals on the floor and you were making this 
fucked up noise and yeah. it and like it very much seemed like that's what you really wanted to be doing at that moment because you wouldn't have been doing it otherwise um and coming from that and then finding your way into like a disco pop album with like these fucking radical feminist lyrics is <laughs> amazing so yeah cool. i've been doing this for over 10 years now it's like if i hadn't changed or evolved fuck you know, like, I, uh, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I don't think I'd be doing it because I would have been bored and I would have gone on to something else if I had been able to stop changing, you know. But that's the best part about being a musician or an artist is, you know, that you have the illusion of control over your life, um, that you can make choices <laughs> and you can do what you want, you know. And it totally. is not real, but it feels better than... You know, when I was, you know, punching a clock or whatever. So, uh, but yeah. it's still, yeah, the, it's, the control is, is minor. <laughs> we didn't talk about your album. We don't need to talk about anything. We just talked. <laughs> okay. People can find me talking plenty about my album anywhere else. Oh my else. God. Album, me too, album. Oh, geez. We should have just kept it no music talk. See what they had done. Exactly. I'll be I'm very curious sorry. to see how they edit this. I just had these. I know, me too. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm psyched that we get to be on tour and have lots of discussions. I think it's going to be really when fun. When we're not saving our voices. Yes. I will talk um, to you soon. I'll see you in, I don't know where we meet yeah, first. Yeah, see you in but October. LA or something. Can't wait. I'll see you in October. Okay, talk to you soon. Okay. Okay, All right. bye. Bye. Meryl Garbus, Meg Remy, thank you so much for joining us on today's show. Listeners, if this Tune Yards and U.S. Girls Tour is coming through your town, make sure you go. They are both amazing, amazing, amazing acts live. And if for some reason it's not, our producer, Mark Yoshizumi, recently did a Pitchfork Live with U.S. Girls. You can check that out on pitchfork.com. Also, earlier this year, J.D. Sampson from La Tigra and Men reviewed I Can Feel You Creep Into My Private Life for us. So definitely check that out if you would like some more Tune Yards. Talkhouse.com. While you're there, you can check out the pair of conversations that Meryl Garbus recorded with the one, the only, the woman, the myth, the legend, Lori Anderson. After their first conversation, they hit it off so much, Annie, that Lori asked Meryl to collaborate, and then we brought them back in to talk about that. Talkhouse making magic happen. You know how we do. Thank you so much to Chris Sands, who recorded Meg in Toronto, and to Meryl Garbus, who recorded herself in the cafe, by the hotel, by she the highway. <laughs> Our producer is Marco Shizumi. Our theme is composed and performed by The Range. For behind-the-scenes content, check us out on all the socials at TalkHouse. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast for upcoming conversations between artists like Lowe's Alan Sparhawk with Death Cab for Cuties' Ben Gibbard, Dilly Dally chopping it up with Tokyo Police Club. Did you know the front people are brother and sister? I had no clue. Yep. Jabuki Young White in conversation with the drums and so many, many more. Till next time, I'm Elia Einhorn. I'm Annie Fell. Peace. See ya. Well, great to hear both your voices. I'll, I'll see you all around. Okay, okay see thanks, ya. Elia. All right. Bye, guys. Okay. Bye. Elia. It's gone. Whoa. <laughs> Elia. <that>? has gone. <laughs> <laughs> it's just-
goodness. <laughs> <laughs>